0: Leave this in. Let Alex sort it out. Uh, anyway. <laughs> it's the Breakout!
1: Hello, modern-day warriors, analog kids, blacksmiths, artists, philosophers, and plowmen, and welcome to Podwork Angels, The Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to the rock band Rush. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here. You may know me from the Cinema Joes podcast, and uh, I'm going to introduce my other co-host. He is also from the Cinema Joes podcast, Noah France. Hello,
0: Noah. Hello. It is time for 2112 in 2022.
1: It is, yes. We're getting every inching ever closer. To make,
0: you have another 68 years to make some form of variation on that joke. 70, <laughs> sorry, I miscounted. Um, yes,
1: yeah, so we'll be getting there very, very shortly. Uh, I can't wait for the actual 2112 celebration in 2112. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: going to be epic.
1: Yeah. Um, so yes, we will be talking about 2112. And we were looking forward to doing that with Luke Martin, our other co host uh, but unfortunately, he is not able to join us on this episode. Uh, but uh, even before we knew about that, we were planning on having a special guest. He is a, music-
0: a special guest. We do. Yes, we do. He's here. And
1: he is here in studio and by studio, I mean in a separate location on a Skype call. <laughs> <laughs> he is a music lover, a fantasy football phenom and general man about town. My brother, everybody, Chris Mancini. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. I mean, I knew if I was gonna have so if I was gonna have somebody else on who I knew was a big Rush fan, it was gonna be you. Um I know you had expressed interest in joining us for certain albums and um and we were happy to have you on. We were gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see what was gonna happen with four hosts, but uh we'll stick with our three host format for now <laughs> in light of circumstances.
2: But oh, thanks um, for having me. Thanks for having me on the Nepotism podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is uh, all brothers, all the, the time. Best,
0: here, the <laughs> best kind of podcast. It's um, the new version of my brother, my brother, my brother, and me. <laughs>
1: yeah, but uh, yeah. So before we talk about 2112, that is what we'll be focusing on today. The, of course, fourth album from the rock band Rush. I wanted to give our listeners a bit of a baseline for you, Chris, in terms of your experience with Rush. Uh, If you want to just talk a little bit about how you got into them, um, if you remember, like when you first heard them and just kind of what they've meant to you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my story isn't much different from Justin's, I don't think. (laughs) Uh, Our dad was a really big Rush fan. And so we heard a lot of Rush growing up. Uh, Mostly through, I would say, records and tape cassettes. We heard a lot of different... (laughs) It was a while Uh, before
1: CDs, yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But probably, I best remember the CDs we had, because I remember kind of sharing them with you, Justin. I think you had bought a couple of CDs, you know, as we got into, like, high school. I remember... Barring those from you to, to listen to different albums. I know we had 2112, we had, um, Farewell we the had Kings? Greatest, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, A Farewell of the Kings, the greatest hits album, which is probably like our most frequent listen to album, I would say, <laughs> or at least for me. Um, and so had that like, initial like initial love for them through just hearing it frequently, but I'd say I grew even more fond uh like into from high school into like college uh where I gotten additional albums I think <laughs> through you Justin um uh I think you mentioned the old manager sharing some albums with you, and I think I got those in turn from you. So being able to uh, listen through full albums really got to appreciate the band even more. I think the thing that I like most about them is just they just feel like all of them are on another level. Like... (laughs) Even uh, like, or I I feel that yeah Neil Peart definitely makes you know my top at least two drummers, if not my top one, uh, close with Danny Carey from Tool, which I think you mentioned, Justin. Uh yep. And Alex Lifeson is just so so talented as well, and and Getty Lee. I feel like I didn't really like I feel like I never really heard the bass until I heard Getty Lee play. <laughs> and because like his bass just stands out on songs to me. Um and I think because I heard so much of them, like Getty Lee's voice was never an issue for me. So like the one thing that like may have turned me off was automatically not a factor for me because i had heard them so much before
1: i had a i mean it's like our you know surprise surprise to anyone but like our experiences were eerily similar almost like your
0: brothers or something what's (laughs) up with that shit
1: um yeah we we i remember we talked about like you know it feels like every member is prominent um on their album like it doesn't and part of that is them being like a trio um but also i i feel like it's also the lack of ego from the three of them like they are very much about being a band um first and foremost and not to say that they didn't have their moments to shine but it was it felt like it was all mutual it felt like it was all agreed upon um you know and uh yeah it's just it's you know again another reason why why we love them Um, so yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have you on Chris. Uh, and, uh, we'll be talking of course about 2112, which as I mentioned before, uh, is the fourth album. It's from 1976, a year after Crest of Steel and Fly By Night. Um, and just a little bit of a prologue, uh, for the album or, you know, going into the recording, as I mentioned, I think on the last episode, uh, the tour they did, for crest of steel which they dubbed the down the, the tubes tour was um kind of a low point for the band they really felt like they had done something and then they saw the reaction and it was the opposite of what they expected and um it was a real demoralizer for them and their uh their label at the time was mercury records and mercury records said to them look um you have one more album on your contract you guys if you guys want to keep doing this You're going to have to, you know, maybe go back to like what you were doing on the first album with those like bluesy rockers. You know, people seem to like that right now. And uh, Rush kind of looked at one another and they're like, well, we could do that, which we don't want to do, or we could do what we want to do. Hey, we closed out the last album with a 20 minute epic. Why don't we start the next one with a 20 minute epic? Let's do that. Right. That worked so well for us the last time. And um, guess what? They were right, because 2112 was a real uh, success for them, um, especially relative to where they had been, and it gave their label more confidence in them, and they did it by really being true to themselves. And um, that's just a great, you know, it's its one of many great stories in, in the Rush, uh, in the history of Rush, that they were able to do what they wanted, and it, you know, they decided if they were going to fail, they were going to fail on their own terms. They were going to go out with a bang, not a whimper. And um, and they gave us this album. And I think that's a really uh, I just think it's a real inspirational story for for artists out there. You know, if you're as talented as Rush, maybe. Um, so, <laughs> but um, you see you know, aspiring musicians, it's easy. Just be Rush. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but uh, so the centerpiece on this or centerpiece, the the opening, which I mentioned, the first side of this album is one song called 2112 uh was primarily inspired it's
0: literally the majority of the album it is yes
1: um and it's primarily inspired by uh the novella anthem written by ayn rand uh which of course we talked a little bit about rand's i think in uh when we were talking about fly by night i believe uh this was i don't know if you're uh, yeah. aware of this author chris but basically let's just say Um, she does not have the best reputation and it's for a good reason, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but she was an inspiration for Neil and the other guys to be quite honest, all of them read this novella and they've been very clear, um, you know, in, in interviews when asked about it, that they do not agree with her politics. They liked the kinds of stories she was writing. They felt it really applied to their own lives. It was never about, they're not objectivists. (laughs) Like it was nothing like that. Um, And as we said before, I think it really was reflective of their own career and being true to themselves when everybody was telling them not to be. Um, So anyway, so 2112, guys, this is a pretty well-known album. I think it's pretty much beloved by the fan base. Um, It's even recommended. I, I sometimes hear people recommending it as a starting point for Rush, which I don't know if I totally agree with, but I've definitely heard that. But um I want to start with you Chris our guest what do you think of this album overall
2: Yeah overall I th- I feel like <laughs> because because 2112 is uh the song is just like a huge epic it feels it feels strange a little bit like to have that as like that on the same, uh, on the same album as like a song like Tears, for example. Sure. <laughs> mm. Uh, but I, 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 think, think, the, that...
0: I think one of the, the best comparisons for this is kind of like Tarkus from ELP. It's like that first song mm. is so huge, and then after that, you're like, well, <laughs> I guess there are these other tracks.
2: <laughs> that said, I, I do enjoy the second half, uh even if maybe not as much as the first side. But I I do think there are a lot of strong tracks on here. My initial hearing of the 2112 song was through the Greatest Hits album. And the Greatest Hits album only included the first two sections of 2112. Which was the Overture. And right, the Temples really? of Syrinx. Yep. And then I believe it went into. Closer to the heart. <laughs> it was like the next <laughs> song. So. For the longest time. like That was my familiarity with. 2112 the song. And then. When I initially heard the rest of the song. I was like. Eh it's okay. <laughs> but then as I had like listen to it more and i think as i got older uh really appreciated it more and uh now i prefer to listen to it in its entirety i just like listening to albums in its entirety in general so (laughs) but yeah i'm I'm glad that i'm glad that i was able to appreciate it more as i got older because uh i'll I'll be talking about this song more i'm sure (laughs) as we get into the other sections but uh to me like the song uh definitely makes the album for me but there's still some great back half songs as well so all in all i just feel like it's a very solid album
0: nice yeah how about for you noah I mean, you know, this is a great one. This, I think, this might be one of the albums I've listened to the most, just because I'll go through phases while I'll just I'll need something on at work to like kind of accompany myself, and I'll 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 think of oh, what band do I feel like listening to? And on a number of occasions, like I've just I, I've gone on YouTube, like okay, Rush, and like this is one of the albums that um uh it is very very often like you can get like you can get vinyl rips uh on YouTube to like stream and listen to. <clears throat> um but i also like i also own the album as well so when i have my my private laptop with me that i can play it from there as well uh yeah and i mean 2112 is just it, it is one of the titans of like the prog rock genre and it's definitely one of the it's very much one of those songs where every time i listen to it i feel like i take something new away um and on top of that too listening through as well um the 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 second half definitely stuck with me with 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 a few exceptions, but we'll get to that. The, the second half definitely um, caught my attention more than it did in previous listens. So I think I'm, I'm growing an appreciation for the other songs in the album as well.
2: Yeah, A lot sure. of great bass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Lots it, of great bass. Like I said, we're, we're going to come back to that.
1: It really struck me this time. I listened to this. I think I, we we're talking a little bit off air, but it really struck me this time how different the two sides of the album are from one another. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it never occurred to me before. Um, Maybe because I'm like, oh, well, there's still, like, you still got some hard rock on the second side, but it really does feel like a different tone from what, like, 2112 is doing. Um, So here's what I'll say. Um, I like this album. I don't know if I love it. I certainly don't seem to love it as much as most of the fan base. Um, And I, I was trying to figure out why that is. Um, And I would even say that applies to 2112. Like, I absolutely love, we'll get into, we'll talk more about 2112, I'm sure, um, the song. But um, even that is something where it's like, I love the first, I love the overture, always have. I remember when I first heard it, and it blew my mind. And it kind of is like, I'm like, that to me is kind of like the high point of the song. And there's stuff I like from there on, but not quite to that level. Um, even the grand finale doesn't quite reach that pinnacle for me, um, and I like a lot of the songs in the second side, but I just wonder if it doesn't have the same kind of oomph that I want <laughs> from from uh, from the rest. Of it. And honestly, some of the other albums we've talked about, you know, they they really do vary. Like there's high points and low points, but I wonder if maybe some of the peaks on albums we've talked about might be a little more appealing to me, at least at this point. Mm. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, and and part of it also is um, there's such a clarity to everything here, which is very different from uh, preceding albums. And I wonder if that clarity to me is like, it, it's almost like two in my face. Like, I almost like want a little bit more mystery. Um, and yeah, so I don't know. I just, I have very like as I want to be clear I like this album I just I can't quite get to that same level as as many other Rush fans in declaring this a masterpiece I can't quite get there um it's it is I want to be very clear it is more assured it is more confident it feels like it has a clarity of vision that the other albums we've reviewed so far have not but I don't know if it has the same emotionality to me <laughs> so it's a weird um it's a weird experience every time i listen to this album i'm always like a little bit ambivalent about it even though there's stuff there i'm like oh i love that i love that and then i'll go to something like oh i don't like that as much but yeah so i'm a little more i feel like i like this album but i'm a little bit i might be a little less high in it than maybe the two of you but but we'll see all right so, let's get into it and talk about our let's do our limelight section. This is where we talk about a song that uh, we think is maybe underrated or is just generally a song that we like. Um so, let's start with you, Noah. What song are you going to put in right. the limelight from 2112?
0: Well, again, th- this is one of those it- it's kind of hard to to get around the the looming shadow of 2112 because it is just it is The big it's it's obviously the biggest song on the album, and I would definitely say that it is the best song on the album from from the craft and the quality of the work that that's going into it. Uh, And I I do love that song, but I want to I want to push that to the side for the moment. uh, And my other than that, out of the rest of the album, I think the one that sticks with me the most is Passage to Bangkok, partly because this was uh, one of my first times revisiting it since I was able to go to Thailand and I absolutely love Thailand so anything that makes me think of Thailand uh, already has its way in my heart but also it's it's got a great drive to it as well uh, and it's it's um, it's one of those cases where when rush goes more concentrated and does something you know in, in air quotes a little bit more typical uh, in terms of of songwriting style, it can be just as good as some of their you know big open-ended, uh, progressive pieces it's just, it's it's a fun it's just a, a fun great song other than 2112 passage to bangkok is definitely the song in the album that for me has the most re listen value and the one that i revisit um more often than any of the others
2: yeah so that's such a great I, did, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say it's such a great riff <laughs>
0: we're gonna put a pin in that we'll come back to it uh-huh. that's I mean, foreshadowing children
1: and I'm assuming, Chris, when you mention the riff, you're talking about like the, the very opening that recurs throughout the song as opposed to.
0: Yeah, yeah, that yeah that one. as opposed to the
1: um, what's been dubbed. Well, I, I'm not going to say the other name for it because I because it's somewhat it can be somewhat racist. offensive. But. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, it's, let's say, referred to in a more PC manner as the East Asian riff, which is only at the beginning of the Justin. song. And I'm just, just I wish they just Let's take put a, a
0: pin in that, too. Okay, okay, all right.
1: Um,
0: especially let's, uh, weird let, when the let's, whole... Let's put a pin in that, too.
1: And especially weird when the rest, like, the song is referencing parts that are not in East Asia. Anyway, so it doesn't even make sense. Anyway, let's say it about that. I do love this. I do love Apache to Bangkok. I don't know if you remember, Chris, but they played that the first time we saw them in concert. And... I distinctly remember the smell be wafting throughout the <laughs> pavilion, becoming much more pungent during that song. And I also remember people actually raising their blunts.
0: And, um, was, it, uh, that, was it the smell of freshly made pad thai?
1: No, it was very okay. much what the song is referencing, which I believe <laughs> also referenced in the uh, visual art that they were using, uh, you know, on the on the rear projector. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, big fan of this. I love that. It's like, it's very, like, I'm not quite sure whether it's like literally happening or just this kind of imagined fantasy version of, you know, taking a, a trip through, you know, different, (laughs) different, uh, you know, recreational drug, uh, you know, (laughs) meccas (laughs) and that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely really like that song a lot. Um, so Chris, where are you gonna go for what what song are you gonna put in the limelight here?
2: So uh I <laughs> I definitely did not go the underrated route <laughs> and just what's the song that I felt was the strongest, which of course 2112. I'll perhaps get into the specific passages uh later on, but just wanted to talk to the song in general. I think, uh, first of all, like, the, I thought it was very interesting how they were able to tell a story, and they, and with music, be able to provide, like, an introduction and conclusion to the story through music, uh, and then you have, like, different characters in the story, and not only uh is Gailey seeing them, but seeing them differently based on like who is uh talking. So you have the priest voice kind of. You have <laughs> the quote unquote, you know, main character who is quote unquote meek. <laughs> so he has a softer voice to him. And but then like his voice starts to um get stronger as the song progresses. And I feel like that's a good way to show the progression of the main character to feel confident that, hey, like this instrument that I found is worth preserving and I'm not going to listen to what the priests have to say. And then just really like the usage of uh, different types of music to... Like progress the story along so like obviously in the overture you have Getty Lee coming in with one line and the meek shall inherit the earth and then that transitions into the into okay this is what the priests think and then at the end of that they have um, a brief section of acoustic guitar kind of saying like okay now let's go over to you've heard from the priest now let's go over to what the quote unquote meek have to say, uh so really good usage of different types of music to help tell the story there, getting into like the like discovery like a lot of usage of like like water sounds to like invite kind of a a learning environment to you have like the dream state where the usage of like I think it's synthesizer, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I believe that synthesizer, because they were really experimenting with that on this album.
2: Yeah. So, like, he has the dream, he comes back from the dream, reintroduces the water sounds to kind of indicate, like, hey, this is what he's learning from, like, the dream. And then it kind of transitioned to him becoming, like, more passionate. Ultimately, leads into the grand finale where, presumably, <laughs> the elder race of man has come back to. Set things right in the world so i just i had never heard a story that told the story quite like that and the usage of all the different tools that they used between the music and getty singing uh to tell that story just blows me away every time i hear it <laughs> so yeah. that's my pick <laughs>
1: I think that's a really good point that you bring up in terms of the transitions. And I think really speaks to the clarity of the songwriting that they were doing at the time. You know, we talked about on fly by night about by toward the snow dog and about how like, yeah, I don't quite know where the, like, where the movements end and the next one begins. Like it's all kind of bleeds into the same song. And here they've really like, it's very clear. There's, um, there's a real distinct tone to each section um there are some recurring bits throughout it like there it took me a while a few listeners to recognize like oh you're actually hearing bits from the overture in the other sections of the song like an overture Mm -hmm. would be (laughs) like it's not just it doesn't just sit in isolation from the rest of it so there's a real coherency and and um cohesiveness i would say to this to this whole song um yeah and uh yeah, there's like you said, very distinct sections. Uh I like also what you said about like the, the sort of main character's voice and how that how Getty changes that, modulates that throughout the song. And then at the end, when his you know lifeblood spills over, he's sounds a little bit more like the priest in that section, I think. Yep. <laughs> Which is interesting. <laughs> so yeah, that feels very intentional for sure.
0: God, just going through this makes me want to listen to the song again. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I got I got to say, too, you know, while I have been a little bit more, you know. um, uh, I've been a little cooler, I guess, on this song, um, it it does have it it is easy to listen to it. Those 20 minutes really fly by, um, but they don't fly by night. Sorry, I can resist. Um, Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, we'll get I'll I'll have more to say about it later. So I'll I'll hold off for now
2: so will i (laughs) (laughs) um
1: so i'll share my pick uh for the limelight we went in three separate directions here which is good i decided to go with the twilight zone the third track on the album uh, the one that immediately follows the passage to bangkok um mostly because it really stands out to me um it was a song, I read a little bit about the history of the song, that this was actually the last song they wrote for the album. And it was very much written to fill space to make the album a little bit longer, but, and they apparently did it pretty quickly. Um, but I just really love it. It's pretty much describing two separate episodes of the twilight zone. I am a fan of that show. So of course I've seen both. I've seen every episode, um, (laughs) And
0: um, <laughs> quick correction there. I see. But yeah. I see them all. <laughs> so,
1: yes. Yeah. So so these are alluding to, of course, will the real Martian stand up, which may be the best episode of the Twilight Zone, maybe Um, certainly up there and then also stop over in a quiet town. And but I think the thing that stands out to me about the song, despite the fact that it is just kind of about the show and they were fans of it, they really loved Rod Serling. They thanked him in liner notes on previous albums to this. So they were big fans of it. Um, but the so- the actual tone of the song feels very different than what you would expect for a song about the Twilight Zone. It has this weird kind of mournful quality. I always, like, for some reason when I hear it, I always picture them playing in this, like, really dimly lit club or something, like, you know, people people, you know, drinking at tables alone, <laughs> listening to it. That's always the image I get, but that's not really what the song's about. So there's a real, like um dissonance between what the song's about and the actual music that they listen for it uh that they that they used for it rather uh, and it's kind of why i love it and it's this and it ends with this absolutely gorgeous guitar solo from alex um which really like hammers home the mournful quality to it and i think was a real i think especially when you consider his other guitar parts on these on this album or even on subs uh previous albums He's really showing that he can, you know, try different things that he can. He's not just about playing loud all the time. (laughs) Like He's not just trying to do one thing. He's really um, exploring the range of the emotional range of the instrument as great guitarists do. Right. You don't just want someone who's doing the same thing all the time. He's just like doing like a, you know, who's just shredding the whole time. I think this is Alex showing that he can do other things as well. And you don't have to always be, you know, really fast or really loud to make an impression.
2: Yeah, I always felt they really captured like the eeriness mm-hmm. of the uh, of the show with like the transition from like the verse to the chorus um kind of like slowing it down and then like making it eerie like in the chorus like i think it's the second phase of the chorus where he has like a whispered version of the chorus in the background yeah yeah i always that always always, like
1: catches me unawares when it happens (laughs) Yeah,
2: and uh a little disappointed that they couldn't use the main theme of the show and (laughs) incorporate it into the song yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah but yeah i i agree that's definitely a song that stood out like the very first time i heard the album
1: yeah and i've I've been reading apparently alex says it's the sleeper hit on the album for for him so you know great minds um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on and talk about the songs that we may want to handle with Kid Gloves because it's time to talk <laughs> to the songs maybe we don't like as much. Doesn't mean we hate them. Just means we like them a little bit less than maybe some of the best. Um, so I'm going to start out this time and maybe be a little controversial. I'm not going to... I'm going to be very clear. I'm not saying 2112, the song. I'm going to pinpoint Uh-oh. a certain section, though. Uh-oh. And I the section that I think doesn't work as well for me as some of the others is section four presentation, which is of course when the main character presents the guitar that he's found to the priests. Um, and there's a back and forth there guys. I just, it just feels so literal and the whole image of it just based on everything that the song is set up just feels a little ridiculous to me. Like why would they let him share this with them? Like, what is the perp? I just don't quite understand that. Um, I don't really like the music, like the acoustic and the bass in this, in the verse section, especially with the main character. It's just a little too, it's just a little too silly. It has this like weird kind of bounce to it. And I really am not a big fan of the lyrics in this section. When one of them is, Listen to my music and hear what it can do. I just cringe. I can't. That's just it's just too cheesy and too silly for me. Um so it's, yeah, and that's combined I don't know. there's just even even just like the way Getty as the priest, you know, says like, no, just uh, just doesn't just makes me the 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 hair on my the back of my neck stand up just like, oh, guys, this is just this is just a little too literal. It's a little too silly um so yeah this this is the one section that that stands out to me is not quite working and i don't know maybe it's because you know even on some of the other longer progressive rock songs that they've done it, it feels like they weren't taking themselves too seriously and this song it feels like taking themselves a little more seriously and i wonder if that's why <laughs> i you know um cringe a little bit when i hear it
0: um All right, but we have, yeah we have so another pin. We have another pin to put in this episode now. <laughs> so if
1: I have to pick a section, that's probably the one <laughs> that I'm going to go with.
2: Would you say it doesn't fit the plan?
1: <laughs> oh! Well, I think, it, I think it does, but um, it just, <laughs> you know, this is the part of the plan that I could have done without, or maybe, I don't know, it doesn't just, yeah, it just doesn't quite work for me, guys. Um
2: <laughs> But, uh, so you've like the solo I, at the end
1: <laughs> I like the transition out of it because it uh-huh. feels like, oh shit, like that didn't work at all. <laughs> he had all this confidence, <laughs> and everything's crashing and burning now, <laughs> so I actually like the solo after that, yeah, uh-huh
0: um, all right, so just I think I'm gonna piggyback on that because okay l- like you, I'm kinda cheating for this section, and i'm not I don't have a song, but a a Piece of a song, and it's the only part of the album that I don't like. Because even even the songs that I just don't like as much are still perfectly fine. Like they're they're all like I, I kind of thought ah, lessons and tears aren't like they're not gonna you know like those aren't gonna make any favorite list, but they're fine songs. I can listen to them no problem. Um, so no, for for my Kid glows pick, I'm going with, and we we touched on it before, the uh, Chinese chopsticks at the beginning of passage to bangkok love the song but god that it why it doesn't it doesn't need to be there it doesn't belong it is it is the single it is for me it is the only thing in this entire album that is a very clear mistake and shouldn't have done it guys you shouldn't shouldn't have done that (laughs) Yeah, especially because it does it dim what is otherwise like my second favorite, as I just said, my second favorite song of the album, except for that 10 seconds. Especially because they don't even bother to bring it back. Like if if they're building a song around that theme, like as a joke, it would be like, OK, I could maybe see a point to that. But it's like, no, they just do it once and that's it. Yeah, no, I, I could do without. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and I want to be clear, uh, for those who don't know, because I had to look this up, because I've heard it in so many things. I'm like, that's not an actual thing that originated in some sort of East Asian music, is it? And uh, it did not. It's a purely Western invention um, that has been used to signify different parts of the world that are not the West. And um, I I don't think there's any malice behind their use of it here. I think it was more like just, hey, this is a funny thing we can do. I don't think they thought about like the implications of cultural appropriation or anything like that. I don't think they're those kinds of people. That's the worst
0: part. It's not even cultural appropriation. (laughs) It's just (laughs) it's just nonsense. It's the white guy was showing in that moment (laughs) Uh, in a not in a not good way. The
1: same white guys who are wearing, according to Alex's words, uh, kamikaze kimonos in uh, in the gatefold of the album. (laughs) It's just...
0: Oh, God. Yeah. Yep. Okay, Alex. All
1: right. (laughs) It was a different time. That's the excuse
0: for you. (laughs) It was a different time.
1: (laughs) So just to be clear now, you're saying just that riff, not the song.
0: Just that riff. Just that riff. Cut it out and like even you could just have silence for five seconds in that part of the song (laughs) and it would be better
1: yeah it's not like the rest of the song stops it's still going through that so you could have just cut it entirely
0: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
1: but all right um so for you chris are you going to go with a song or a section or uh objectionable part (laughs) of a song
2: so i felt to go with a song but i would agree that there isn't a particular song that I feel like stands out as like let's not have this on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh so I'll just pick one that I'm just a little bit more lukewarm on than the others. And it's actually the last song on the album, so- Something for Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um again, nothing that Not for I... nothing, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh Upon listening it, I, like, I do feel that it does have some similar sounds to 2112. Um, so it could be a nice way to kind of, like, end the song to, like, remind you, like, hey, like, this is what was at the beginning of the album. But I guess, like, I don't know, like the parts where like Getty Lee is singing uh like the way saying like something for nothing, thing. <laughs> <laughs> like were a little bit uh annoying to me. But again, like I don't dislike the song and it's not like I would like skip the song. Uh I just felt a little bit more lukewarm on it than the others.
1: Yeah, that's fair. There, there are some other songs that I felt kind of a same, the similar way. Um, you know, like, I, I generally like Something for Nothing, but I can't say it's, like, one of my favorite Rush songs, necessarily. Um, you know, Lessons is another one that's maybe, you know, it's like, it's fine. Like, I could, you know, if it weren't on the album, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> but, you know, I don't necessarily skip it either.
2: I was debated between something for nothing and lessons and yeah. just like the bass a little bit more <laughs> in lessons. Plus like, it sounds a little like Ramble on too, a little bit. Oh, interesting. I never thought of I'm that. Like that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. L- lessons was also kind of my, that, that was my pick B for least favorite part of the album. Mm.
1: Yeah. It's when you have a song called lessons, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I just, then you I... haven't
0: learned your lesson. huh.
1: <laughs> but yeah um yeah it's interesting because we did like we've there have been albums before where you know like i think Noah on the first album you said there really wasn't a song that you would you know that you really didn't like so um Mm -hmm. you know there's not that's not always going to be the case and that's usually a good sign that we chose like a good band to talk about that we really like (laughs) so Yeah. yeah um all right, but let's uh, let's move on to our words of the prophets section. This is where we spotlight uh, particular lyrics that we really like. Um, and um, why don't you start us off, uh, Chris? Why don't you start us off this time?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually going to go to what I believe is one of the few songs penned by Getty Lee and not Neil Peart uh, on the album, which was Tears. Correct. Uh, was debating to like pick this song as like underrated song, but had to talk about 2112 if no one else would, so <laughs> um chose to, to choose tears for to talk about for the lyrics, and uh, the lyrics that I'm gonna go with are from the chorus: What would touch me deeper? Tears that fall from eyes that only cry. Would it touch you deeper than tears that fall from eyes that know why? That's nice.
0: That's very nice.
2: Just felt a lot of great emotion from Getty. Mm. Like you feel like one of the few songs that like (laughs) where they talk about like love, I feel like. Yeah, there's Uh, a few,
1: but not many. Not many.
2: (laughs) So I really appreciate the emotion that he shows. Like you feel the love there, but you also feel like the hurt and sadness um in there and just makes you try to like makes you want to like understand like what's happening. And I guess like for me, my interpretation is it's something where like potentially there's a relationship there that um someone is maybe hurt in the relationship um and either is uncomfortable like sharing that and the other person has kind of come to know why that is and therefore it's kind of a series of where someone was feeling some way for a long time but then the other person in the relationship has gone from a state of emotion of, like, love to, like, hurt because they understand now that it's been an issue for the other person in the relationship.
1: Those lyrics that you chose, I was looking over them, like, like, pouring over them yesterday and trying to figure, like, what is he saying here? Like, it's <laughs> it's like it feels like it really means something. And yet I can't quite get a handle on that section or like what the song is about. I've seen many interpretations of this song and they all seem very different from one another. I don't know. I have, I wasn't able to find if Getty had ever talked about it. Um, I'm sure there probably is somewhere, but, um, I, I couldn't find it if there is. Um, and it's a weird thing where I'm like, I don't know if this song is meant to be like happy. Like he's like, these are two people finally, realizing their feelings for one another, or if this is like a sad song, if it's about hurt that someone has gone through. And it sounds like for you, there's a bit of both, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, there are many reasons why we cry, right? It doesn't have to necessarily just be sadness, um, but but it, at the same time, it could be both. And I think that's maybe the, what the song is going for. Um, but yeah, that's, those, that chorus is very, it's, it's cryptic, but in a way I kind of like, like, I'm like, I like that I don't have a handle on this song. It's, it's mm-hmm. still, that doesn't mean the emotion isn't there.
2: Yeah. I think I, I forget exactly the, the lyrics in the second verse, but based on what is mentioned in there was what led me to think that it's a little bit more sad than happy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like a lifetime of questions, tears on your cheek. I tasted the answers and my body was weak. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it is a weird one when you consider everything else on the album. There's I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's a single other Rush song that sounds like it. Including, you know, like something like Rivendell is also kind of at the same the same pitch, but not the same subject mm. matter or level. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, this is
0: another one that did stand out to me a lot more than it had before, um, when I when I did my listen-through for this episode.
1: Um, but uh, where did you go, Noah, for this one? What, what words so, of the
0: prophets did you consult? So my prophetic words. It's interesting that uh, you wanted to dunk on the presentation section of 2112. Because <laughs> uh, that's where I had the... Uh, Selected there's and the reason for this is to to you know to to timestamp this a bit. We're recording this at the time at a time where there's it, it's another bit of a low point um for the world right now. You know, the war in Ukraine is still ongoing, and we're recording this like within a week after um the leak, you know, for all of you in the future, listening to this when it comes out, because it'll be maybe kind of old news by this time. We're recording this in the wake of the week from the supreme court um indicating that they are actually finally going to overturn roe v wade um which in for all of the non-us listeners is the supreme court decision that provides for the right to an abortion and they're going to turn it over into a way that seemingly opens the door for an attack on pretty much any and every right that like makes the united states a country moderately worth existing uh so it's just it's it's not fun right now and it's, you know, it, we're once again in a time where we're just kind of being reminded of how dreary it is to have a bunch of old men being stupid and making stupid decisions. And there were a couple of lines from the priest's dialogue in presentations that kind kinda of really got to make on this listen through uh, because of that. Not like the whole section, because like if you look at every line, it's kind of. And I, 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 and this is something that I can see as like a weakness of that section. The lyrics don't entirely gel together when you take it all together. Uh, but a couple of individual sentences that in isolation kind of get at, you know, where my mindset has been. Um, specifically the lines, it's just a waste of time. Our world is doing fine. Forget about your silly whim. It doesn't fit the plan. Don't annoy us further. We have our work to do. Just think about the average, and I assume that means like the average person. What you have they for you, like this very cynical. It doesn't matter. It's all fine. We're just gonna do our thing, and uh, you all, you just have to cope with that. You know, that's kind of, and I think that is the intentional vibe of that part of the song. I get what you're saying, Justin, about how you could argue whether or not musically or lyrically they really succeed in what they're doing, but but at least some of the lines there, I think do do get at at that unfortunately not a positive association (laughs) with my pick this time around
1: yeah i kind of went back to a song that you referenced earlier um chris for for my pick for lyrics and it's from something for nothing (laughs) and it's the part of the it's part of the chorus but specifically the part of the chorus that goes you won't get wise with the sleep still in your eyes no matter what your dreams might be um and this i don't know why that the the especially the part about you won't get wise with the sleep still in your eyes just really st- stuck out to me as like i'm like that sounds like some genuine folksy adage that is has been said before but i feel like was just made up by neil and i kind of like that about it um it really reiterates you know what the song's about um but i think it also it, for me it's like a reminder that it's not just about i don't think the sleep is meant to only represent laziness and it's about like you know get off your ass and do something i think it's more about how it's it can be very easy to dream right it's it's comforting it's nice but it's not actually going out and achieving it that is a different thing and i think that's what this section is is uh kind of driving home and and just a reminder like it doesn't matter what your dreams are or or how genuine or well-meaning or well-intentioned they may be um and i think it's also a you know, I think it's also a reflection of the band and what they, you know, what they were doing. Right? They could have sat on their laurels. They could have said, "All right, you know, we did it. We had a good run. You know, let's see what happened." And they were just like, "No, we're going to keep doing what we were doing, um, and do it really well, and hope that people like it." And that's what happened. Um, so you know, I think it's also a reflection on where the band was at the time, and uh, and their kind of mission um you know that i think would would um would really fuel them through uh through the following years all right so let's move on to our last section this of course is the magic music that makes our morning mood uh or a mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in the morning
1: yep <laughs> <laughs> that's our new radio show um <laughs> mm so let's start uh let's see where should i start this time maybe noah do you want to start us off this time
0: all right well uh we're going back to the second pin uh that i had us put in this episode earlier back to my second favorite track in the album my music moment is the bass line from passage to bangkok it is so good which makes it all the more offensive that in one instance they ruin it with that stupid chopsticks i i don't know why i'm calling it a chopstick it sounds like like the chopsticks on the piano to me but that bassline is great it's just it's like that for it is for me it is the perfect example of a great rock bass line it's driving it's energetic uh, it's got this great vibe to it it's you know it showcases how you know uh, against the stereotype of the bass being kind of a boring instrument how the bass can be the driving melodic force uh behind behind a piece of music so it's just it's great, It like that's it's it's for me it's the best example of on um, this album of what Getty Lee can do with his instrument, yeah, now, there's not much more I can say about it just like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going back and listening to like the second half of the album, was just like definitely packages uh a passage to Bangkok as well as um lessons, whereas like man, like the bass during the course is just so good, like <laughs> like. Like I definitely did not appreciate the first time that I heard this album, but like man, how I can appreciate it now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was getting into Rush and many other bands at the time, like when I was, I don't know, 14 or so. (laughs) um, (laughs) Guitar was always the thing that's that stuck out to me, so I would latch on to that, and that's why I got into Rush because I was so into Alex's playing, and I still am. But I think it was a while before I really started to appreciate rhythm sections <laughs> like really appreciate bass and drums mm-hmm. um and to just go back to what you were saying before Noah about the bass being used as a melodic instrument that's uncommon you know it doesn't happen yeah. a lot it's usually used to fill in the bottom and that's about it um i mean for me th- the
0: two examples of, of really using the bass as an like the full range of the bass are rush and the who
1: yeah, well, like, I Get, definitely grew Get, up that.
0: Get, yeah. I mean, Getty Lee and John Entwistle for me are just like the 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 top two base, like rock, especially progress. I mean, the who's not quite progress, rock bass players. Let's let's put under that umbrella. Yeah.
1: I would just like just to name some other bass player, like some of my other favorite, but like John Entwistle and Getty are absolutely in like my top 5. I would also add Les Claypool, who I brought up before. Um, to say. <laughs> Chris Squire from Yes, like these are all people that really did want to stretch what the what the bass was capable of, and sometimes became the main riff of the song. Um, and yeah, I just I just got the sense that, especially in in a passage to Bangkok, the way the basses were, it just it it is prominent and yet it's complementing at the same time. You can accomplish both, and I think that's what Getty was able to do and maybe i don't know does he get enough credit for how well it blended with the other instruments i don't know but he should get that credit as well
0: (laughs) he gets it here you're welcome getty (laughs) hire me
1: yep finally (laughs) adulation for getty
2: (laughs) (laughs) also i feel like it adds to the replayability of songs like you have like you traditionally think of the chorus as, okay, it's, like, the main hook. It's something that people, like, look forward to in the song. Um, Like, hear the verse, and they're like, oh, the chorus is going to come off. I really enjoy that section. Um, But then, like, they can complement, or they can add to the chorus by not only adding in, or not only having, like, bass play but also like if i'm not mistaken like the bass play is slightly different between like the first chorus and the second chorus like it gets a little bit more um complex like when the, when the second chorus comes around and that kind of adds to like okay after i've heard the chorus a lot of times now i'm like listening for other things and now i can pick up hey like notice the bass in there too as well and how it's changing over time so it always adds like a unique listen even if you're hearing the chorus the second time around
1: yeah it's just making you know taking a traditional rock song and adding a little bit of spice you know like making it a little more unpredictable so uh next let's go to you chris since we were just (laughs) just uh what magic music makes your morning mood
2: uh, I'm gonna go back to 2112, but I'll focus on the overture because it was definitely the thing that stood out to me the most from the song, and something that I heard before even listening to the full song. Because I, th- I think the first time I heard it was from like the <laughs> Greatest Hits album. Uh, but I just love the way the guitar, drums, and and bass play off of each other uh, throughout the song. Like in the beginning, uh, mostly like guitar and drums, and they're playing very similarly. Um, And then at a certain point in the song, it transitioned to them kind of like going like little separate ways, but then they meet back up. Uh, So it's really cool how they play off of each other. And it's just really cool how you get a sample of like what's coming up for the rest of the song and that they're playing like samples from different, you know, subsequent parts of the song. Uh, so I just really love the way um, it pulls together and may not, as you mentioned before, may not pull together as well in the grand finale. Uh, but the way they do it in the, in the very first section, uh just keeps me coming back to wanting to wanting to hear that again so having a strong uh beginning to the song certainly i think yeah i think without the overture the song is just not does not have the same punch
1: yeah and it was the last you know like other you know many many composers before them um they wrote the overture last after they had composed all the other themes so they had something to draw from but yeah it is the section that i that you know that really stands out and really i think I, I agree i think without it it would not be as memorable um you really need it to kind of focus all the themes from the beginning
2: yeah like i would put it up there with with like yyz um in terms of like
1: like instrumental instrumental purely instrumental (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um i'm gonna join you chris i'm gonna also talk about the overture um but i'm gonna spotlight one section in particular um which i've always loved but um really was the thing i'm like okay well i could talk about the solo but i've talked so much about alex's solos at this point and there'll be many more i'm sure i actually want to talk about the section right before the solo the sort of bridge Mm -hmm. into the solo (laughs) <laughs> Which is still Alex is very prominent in, and it's this just massive riff from him where at the end of each phrase feels like almost like like he set charges and all of a sudden they're going off, <laughs> um, and I don't know if you guys can can hear it. You would know when you you know if I were to play it, uh, you know I it'd yeah. be, it would be yeah. evident. But um, it's <clears throat> honestly one of the heaviest sections I think in a rush in any of Rush's songs, um it's just an amazing it's just an amazing section i mean i love there's also like him um you know neil's like hitting the um hitting the snare on each um on each sort of like exclamation point at the end of each phrase um and um you know i don't know if we've talked a lot about this i think we've mentioned it before that some people argue that rush is like the the um the sort of beginning of progressive metal um which i always bristle a little bit at i'm like well i don't know if they're quite metal enough for me like they're not quite like evil sounding enough to 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 classify but it doesn't matter like I, it doesn't mean i like the music less it just means i don't know if it's quite that thing but this section really lends some credence to that argument i have to say it is <laughs> it is quite heavy quite muscular um and honestly it just it feels like a real like i just get a real sense of defiance from it right like coming into this album Making the music that they want to make, and doing it with this massive riff, like just a massive fu to the record company. (laughs) Of just like, no, we're doing this. This is it's still gonna rock. It's still gonna rock hard, but it's not gonna be what you want. And we like we embrace that. (laughs) I just think this is the. This section especially is like a microcosm of that.
2: I just had
0: an image of them like presenting a demo copy of the album to the the record label, and the guy be like, "Guys, I said three minutes." <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee that didn't happen, but it's a fun little image in my head.
2: Yeah, it makes you yeah. think. Like, did they take like, were they thinking of the record company when they're like voicing the priests?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it was at least a part of it. pictures around the studio. <laughs> Neil Kirk had pictures yeah. of the studio execs on his drums
2: and like and at one point they were tough. talking they're like yeah like this doesn't fit the play I was like ah oh, we're gonna use that
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're like I get a leak, you turn it on what you want more I, I no, Getty, that's not what we're saying I'm turning it up to 11 Getty, that is, only goes to 10 <laughs> it's at 11
2: <laughs> we have assumed control
0: <laughs> yeah
1: i i i don't think you're wrong chris i think it was very intentional um for sure i don't know if it happened exactly in that way but i do believe that the pressure they were experiencing was was a a driving force for this song um and uh yeah so um any last thoughts before we move into our next section we've talked quite a quite a long time about 2112 at this point
0: I'm no fitting it's a long song. But it's good, <laughs> it holds up.
2: Yeah. I think um you're talking about kind of like introductory metal and like yeah. definitely like the I am less familiar, admittedly, with like the albums before 2112. I don't know if like you feel like the priest voice has been used before, but I feel like initially maybe I was a little I may have initially not liked the voice of it, but I would say, like as I was getting into high school and and college was opening up more to metal, and as I was doing that, like the voice I actually started to kind of like more that voice that he used for the freeze uh as I was like experiencing it with other other bands that I was getting into. At the time, so definitely interested to know like if you feel like that voice like did that feel like distinctly metal to you, and like was that something that you also may have initially like been interested <coughs> but then um, <coughs> on you?
1: Like I would say. For me i definitely was resistant to it at first because it was at least my experience with rush even at that point like i'm like i'm not used to getting that high pitched and that shrieky but <laughs> um it is inter- i i don't know if there's a ton I- i'm trying to think of like other like things he might have been influenced before this um i can't imagine there was a lot i do wonder if maybe this was inspiration for other metal bands that were to come that were would definitely sing in this style bands like that i brought up before on this podcast actually like iron maiden and um judas priest especially because rob halford was all about getting that high range (laughs) um so yeah I, i think I mean, and not just with with this particular aspect when it comes to the voice, but with other things as well. I think the more music you listen to, I do find like the more I'm like, oh, this sounds a lot like this other thing that I like. And now, you know, now I have an appreciation for it because I've seen I've seen what that can look like. Um, So, yeah, I I had a similar arc, I think, with with his voice and that particular you know section of the song, too, um, because it is a, a bit of a change from you know some of the especially if you just know like tom sawyer or other just you know um rudiment not rudimentary that's the wrong word um you know just like starter the starter pack for rush i don't know if temples of syrinx
0: is maybe the first place you go (laughs) so um
1: anything from you noah on that
0: no no i mean i no like i said i just it's it's an album that holds up really well yeah and it's definitely still one of my favorites
1: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm I'm curious where it's gonna fall in our like eventual rankings, but we'll wait. That's that's oh, a long time off. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. gonna be a bit. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, in three years when we finish this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. Um <laughs> so guys, I know we're running a little bit long, but um let's talk about the music, uh the other music we've been listening to. Um these are other artists apart from Rush, we've been listening to. So I wanna start uh, let's start with you, Chris. What has been good for you recently?
2: Yeah, I've been listening through the whole discography of Elder, which is a rock band from Massachusetts.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: Their style has changed over the years. Uh, So they, I I would say like earlier on, they were very much like stoner rock, like doom metal. And I think they still have some elements of that. Uh, Later on, but I feel like it has transitioned more to prog rock um, over the last, I would say, three or four albums or so. Um, They have, I believe, five albums or no, six albums or so, um, including one that just came out uh, at the end of 2021, uh, which is called... Eldavar, a story of darkness and light, and it is a collab, uh, collab album with the German band uh, Kadavar, which uh, I had not heard of before. Curious, Noah, if you had
0: not, <laughs> heard them. No, I, at all. I have not heard of them either. That's interesting. I gotta and, check them out.
2: And the way they ended up collabing was because, uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, I think they were visiting in Germany at the time. And uh, I guess we're meeting some of the bands out there. And then during the pandemic, we're kind of like sheltering in place for a bit and had some opportunity to uh, collab with uh, this other band. Um, So definitely can hear their style in the album. um, But definitely pick up some uh, other features of it from the other band as well, who. I guess I would also consider like Stone the Rock as well. And um they're definitely known for their long songs.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh
2: I would say most songs are gonna last at least six minutes. Uh but they're go on up to twenty minutes. So for those of you That's are- <laughs> <more like it. laughs> for those who are big fans of like twenty one twelve epics, like They definitely have a lot of those and they keep it interesting where I definitely feel like they'll have different sections of the song um, and will transition, you know, multiple times within a song. Um, I would say like um, they have like a, a decent vocalist, but I think definitely like they're, I believe the lead vocalist plays either lead guitar or rhythm guitar um and i just feel like their their music is definitely their strength um so really, come to to like them kind of got introduced to them through um i've been listening to a lot of a bunch of other like stoner rock uh like highest and um a little bit of um queens of the stone age and was looking for more and uh happened to find them on youtube uh and have really enjoyed their music and enjoying going through their 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 discography again this was
1: a band that you introduced me to chris and i was like oh i'm gonna check them out and i was surprised like you said like they actually start being more like doom metal and i'm like wow this is not what i expected and then kind of transition more into rock at the same time like i feel like the riff structure is still somewhat similar. Like, obviously, like you said, there are different transitions, but it's not like, um, like you wouldn't, it's, it doesn't sound like Led Zeppelin to me. Like, in terms of like the speed of the riffs is, is more slowed down, a little more deliberate, um, but in a way that it feels true to their origins to me. And also, it shows you can, exp- like, you don't have to necessarily play at like a blistering speed to be interesting um you know it's more about the intentionality of it and and still leaves a lot of room for experimentation they're they're one of those bands that i think started as more metal and became more rock but like in a good way that doesn't always happen like for for bands that do that it doesn't always work out like i'm not entirely convinced that it worked out for opeth i gotta be honest um (laughs) so far but um but I do think it works for Elder and um yeah I'm glad that I I'm glad that I got into them. And I think honestly when people say like, does anyone like do people make rock music anymore? I'm like, Well, I can point you to several bands and Elder's usually one of
0: them. Yeah, right? no, it's just it's not it's not the thing anymore. Like rock music is not the center of like mainstream music. Yeah. That, like, that's They're the not place. gonna I mean, be at the Grammys. But yeah. I
1: don't think that really matters to them. <laughs> like if they can continue I, to make the music they want to make.
0: Yeah, I mean I think the Foo Fighters were like the last really big mainstream popular like like we like people were consciously aware of them. That was a legitimate rock band.
2: Yeah, and even
0: that like they were kind of an outlet. Of like, oh wow, there's a rock band people know about. <laughs> it's to us true rock fans. Life life uh, finds a way.
2: Indeed, there are <laughs> tens of us, tens, <laughs> <laughs> T-
0: dozens.
1: <laughs> all right yeah great um i'm gonna go next um right. and i'm gonna go with a, i'm gonna go a little bit different usually i spotlight uh an artist for this but i guess i'm gonna kind of spotlight multiple artists in a way because i'm gonna talk about a soundtrack album i've been listening to a lot lately and right. i i'm sure it's one that you know are very familiar with because it's the soundtrack to oh brother where art thou um Of
0: course, very good. movie
1: um from 2000 starring George Clooney (laughs) uh and John Turturro and Tim Blake Nelson and several other talented people um but this soundtrack like was a big deal when it came out I feel like honestly it's probably more known now than the movie is which is saying something
0: you know that's probably the case yeah
1: and it did get I mentioned the Grammys before it actually did get like Grammy nominations I'm pretty sure i think it won a few i'd have to look it up but um the for those who don't know the story itself of the film takes place in the south in the 30s during the depression and the music in the movie kind of reflects that it's a combination of folk bluegrass and country um and, uh, you know, these are genres that well maybe folk to a certain extent, but certainly bluegrass and country, not what I typically gravitate toward. And it seems like what you, what it takes for me to listen to it is if it's, you know, a soundtrack from one of my favorite filmmaking auteurs, then I guess I will listen to it <laughs> because I just love the music in this. It's everybody from um, Allison Krauss, who people may know for her. Uh, well, for several reasons, but she's probably known within at least within the rock community as for her collaborations with Robert Plant um they've you know they've done a lot of albums together um but other talented people like Gillian Welch uh Richard Stanley um and it really runs the gamut um it's everything from you know more like like gospel inspired stuff like down to the river to uh, down on the river to pray um that's
0: that is both my favorite track on that album and also, I think maybe my favorite scene in the movie, like just for uh, its sheer, it's the great. visual and audio effect that it has in the moment.
1: Yeah, um, that's that song's really great. I love um, Oh, Death is a real highlight for me. Didn't Leave Nobody, But the Baby is also one of my favorites in there. That's also sung by Alison Crouch, Gillian Welch and also Emmylou Harris, who is a very well-known country artist. Um and so it just runs the gamut. I I love listening to it. There's a certain level of nostalgia associated with that music for me. Um, but it's just something different. And it just, I don't know, just automatically improves my mood whenever I listen to it. It's kind of the thing I listen to if I want to feel better about things. Um,
0: you know, just pretty much everything you just said applies for me to the soundtrack from another Coen Brothers movie oh. from Inside Llewyn Davis, Yes, um, which is much more like that is decidedly folk music. I think oh, the folk elements in o brother are are, are there, but like inside Lewin Davis' is like straight up folk music. Uh, but that's another that's another example where the movie is great. And then the soundtrack also like stands on its own two feet. It's just this amazing musical experience, yeah, yeah. So, they're, they're, uh, it's, but O brother is also just classic,
1: yeah. and inside Lewin Davis also. I mean, I could I was thinking about that one too, because I will I'll play songs from that all the time. And I love that, like, oh, yeah. um, you know, Oscar Isaac, unlike George Clooney with the Soggy Bottom Boys, Oscar Isaac is actually singing those songs.
0: <laughs> so, and playing the guitar.
1: And playing the guitar,
0: exactly. Now it, Inside Llewyn Davis was the movie that brought Oscar Isaac into my life. So we'll always and have... And many that, others, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so what music has been good for you, Noah?
0: I mean, I've always been a huge fan of the Civilization games. I don't know if I've mentioned that on this podcast. Uh, but I, you know, I started with Civ 3 and uh, finally to Civ 6, which has had the corollary effect of allowing me to really appreciate the music of Civ 6. The Civilization games have always had great music, uh, but in the past it was usually like one or two guys who would like write a main song for the game, like like an like an opening like a opening credit song, uh, and then individual themes for like the nations that you can pick within the Civ games. I, I don't know all the details yet, but what they did for Civ 6 seems to be a bit different. First off, Civ 6 has like a, a like the biggest variety yet that the games have had in terms of nations and cultures and ethnic groups that you've been given the option to play. And I see a lot of people like love the games for this. Uh, but also, the approach they took with the music this time was incredibly creative. In nearly every case, like they took either one or like two traditional tunes or folk songs or melodies um that are are popular or traditional within like the respective cultures and nations and like like did a, a fusion of them and then they have like an ancient a medieval and industrial and an atomic uh version for each of the tracks and they're just like you, you get this incredible gamut of music that literally spans like the globe and the centuries and it's just all great music and a lot of, I've seen a lot of people just complimenting them for really going the extra mile uh in in giving you the chance not only to play as all these different types of peoples but to get a really authentic experience as well just through the music um like one of some of my just just to highlight a handful because there's so many like great stuff um in one of the latest expansion packs uh vietnam is one of the new nations that you can play as they've never had that before in the civ games uh, and they have two traditional like um, folk melodies uh, that they that they that they fuse together for the Vietnam theme. Uh, the theme for the Byzantines is an original Greek hymn, an Orthodox uh, Greek hymn that was actually like there was a tradition to chant this hymn on the battlements of Constantinople whenever the city successfully repelled uh, an attack from invaders. Another favorite of mine that I want to highlight is the theme for Georgia. Again, like the, the type of like smaller nation and culture that tends to get forgotten in broader history and has never been available in games like Civilization before uh, or Age of Empires, you know, which is which is a, which is a similar type of game uh, where they have again they have these two traditional like Christian Orthodox chants that are combined together. And the ancient one, like the ancient melody is just the chanting combined and it's just hypnotic and beautiful. But then by the atomic version, you have like instrumentation added to it. um, And it just, it gives it this extra kick. Uh, One of the, there are a couple of leaders that you can play, uh, you can play as for England. And for one of them, for Queen Victoria, uh, the theme is based around the Scarborough Fair melody, which most people are most familiar with from the Simon and Garfunkel version uh, from their Parsley Sage Rosemary and Thyme. So whenever I have, whenever England is one of the players, like that theme will come around as you're playing and I'll be playing it like, Oh man, the Simon and Garfunkel piece is back. And it's just a great feeling. Uh, And I think another highlight, I think the highlight for a lot of people from what I, I gather is the Scotland theme, which of course in the original version is like all bagpipes Uh, And then by the atomic version with all the other instruments added into the bagpipes, it's like on steroids at that point. And it combines um, the classic Scotland the Brave, which is like the bagpipe song, but also with the folk song Bonnie Dundee. And it's just it's just one of the best creations and best use of bagpipes ever. So shout out to all of the artists who contributed to and worked on the Civ 6 soundtrack. Like for me, it's it's a great example of like some of the best stuff you can do with video game music.
1: Yeah, I certainly want to listen to many video game soundtracks. I have a few that are like my go-tos um and again, I think there's a bit of a nostalgia factor for me, but also I just I would genuinely like it even if it weren't connected to a video game. The other day, I was talking to my uh to my to my parents and i think i mentioned something like oh i was listening to this video game soundtrack and my dad said something like you know oh like you know i was i i didn't when i first heard like people were really into music video games i didn't really understand but then i actually heard some like it's really good <laughs> like well yeah i mean it's it's music like any yeah. other you know any other
0: kind it's just and even and even I've also gotten to appreciate because of course I have a huge, massive nostalgic boner for like the original Game Boy and Game Boy Advance Pokemon soundtracks, oh, uh, which wow. are like you know you know that's the old eight bit style. There have now been all sorts of like orchestral versions of like old Game Boy soundtracks, you know like not just Pokemon like Tetris, Zelda, uh, the Mart, like a, a whole bunch of you know stuff. And what what that has allowed people, I think. F- people of my of our age especially if you go back and listen to like first the original like very minimalist sounds of stuff like the old pokemon games and then when you listen to like modern orchestrations you realize they were do- like they were taking like there's an incredible amount of creativity there too they were taking this very limited medium uh and getting really creative with it like again a lot of the classic yeah. pokemon stuff When you really break it down, like, like, there's a lot of great musical, like, just interesting musical ideas that are being implemented there, you know, back then on a very limited basis. And now, of course, people are going back and saying, hey, we could, like, blow this up and do it even bigger. You know, there's one guy, Braxton Braggs, who does reorchestrations of the Pokemon Game Boy soundtracks, and they're absolutely amazing. I, I can't recommend them enough to anyone who has any fondness at all for Pokemon
1: yeah i mean i feel like in some ways like those eight bit that eight bit era was almost like the dogma 95 version of of music like we have this very limited amount of resources like what can we get out of it how many different stories or how many different things can we create out of it um it's kind of like with
0: it kind of you know it's it's also like with comic strips stuff like the far side like you get one panel tell me a story with one panel like yeah okay i gotta economize i gotta be smart you know
1: (laughs) yep but yeah wow very three very different picks for music uh (laughs) i love it i love the range of stuff that we're getting honestly i had no idea you were going to go with a video game soundtrack noah so thank you for that um
2: (laughs) actually uh on the topic of (laughs) on video game soundtracks real quick uh i i was listening to 2112 on youtube and after it ended got recommended um a video called the soundtrack of ocarina of time but it's a wow. prog rock concept album oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and i got to say it was pretty awesome so uh it's uh it's like 30 minutes like it has a lot of the, uh the iconic ocarina of time soundtracks done in done in this prog rock style so um big ones like gerudo valley uh hyrule field song of storms uses those and and they use a lot of horns and um they'll pull in like cello um keyboards etc saxophone so yeah (laughs) so uh yeah definitely uh would recommend that that's from uh dr pez figure mm. i i had that shout out because that was uh, a happy surprise after listening to 2112
1: <laughs> mm. yeah all right wow we got a lot of uh so i got a lot of things to check out certainly um but uh let's uh i know we've we've gone a little bit longer than we usually do even with only three people um which i can't imagine having loot gear what that would have looked like but. Um, but it's all good. Um, so let's talk about where we can find everybody. Um, and I'll start with our guest, Chris. Is there anywhere that we can find you online at all?
2: You can find me on upcoming <laughs> Rush, uh, on uh, some upcoming episodes of the uh, of the Rush podcast, uh, planning on uh, providing my feedback for, for some of the other albums coming up but uh in terms of online presence uh i tend to uh avoid social media so (laughs) i'll just say um yeah stick to this podcast and you'll hear more from me
1: great well we certainly look forward to that and hopefully we'll have luke luke will be available and you know we'll have the four of us which should be really fun Mm. um how about for you noah
0: uh, well, in addition to all my work here, as Justin mentioned earlier, you can check both of us out and our work with our other other co-host of the Cinema Joes, Alex Marcus, uh, regarding the Cinema Joes podcast. And you can also check out my very, at this point, extremely varied written stuff on my blog at Francnoir.blogspot.com.
1: Great. Um, I'm also going to just shout out our missing co-host, Luke, you can find him um, on the Talking the Coda podcast, which is part of the BreakCast feed on thepotbreak.com, where you would also find this podcast. Um, and he's also on YouTube at Luke Martin. So we look forward to uh, – we'll have him back. Don't worry. He'll be back, listeners. <laughs> um, and uh, for me, you can find me at thecinemaverick.com. I'm also on Letterboxd at the where I mostly just talk about movies. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me. So that's going to do it for us on this episode, but I will say a farewell to kings, queens, and in-betweens. We thank you all for listening. Take care.